asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we are answering your listener questions. Right, Joel, we have a Listener Question Monday episode lined up for everyone. We're going to tackle a bunch of questions, including the effects of the election on how we invest. We're going to talk about our thoughts on FHA loans, as well as paying for a master's degree, how to go about doing that. Joel, I'm guessing you would suggest to donate some plasma. <laughs> that is one way. I did donate plasma when I was going uh, to school, when I was in college. Back in the day. For like a year. Um, and it did. I, I didn't necessarily use it to fund my college education. I, I had some scholarships. I took out some student loans. But yeah, the, the plasma was kind of nice for daily spending. Some pizza money is good. I don't do it anymore. But I know we, we mentioned that we made fun of donating plasma at one point in time. And a couple of our listeners wrote in and they're like, hey... I still do it. I yeah, some... they do it on the reg and they kind of have a system worked out to where they kind of stop on the way to work and yeah. they're able to... Oh, one listener, I remember this is it's how they pay for their annual family vacation and they, they like to go to Disney World a lot and they completely pay for that trip every single year with swinging by the local blood bank, sitting there doing some reading while donating blood and plasma. Well, I'm not sure if it's a blood bank. I think those are separate. Uh, plasma center, whatever. Yeah, plasma donation center. <laughs> but yeah, you can make money if that's how you want to. But no, there are other ways to pay for it. We're going to answer Hillary's question a bit later on in this episode. But Matt, before we get to that, uh, we had a listener write in with an email and she mentioned that when we're talking about booking an Airbnb, one way to potentially save more money on an Airbnb or VRBO rental 
is to look for the company who's listing it and then reach out directly. Oftentimes you can get a lower price by finding the property on Airbnb or, or VRBO and, and then booking uh, through the company directly. Yeah, you did something like that basically with a hotel. I remember a couple years ago, you found the hotel online that you wanted to check out, but then you went directly to the website and they actually had a pretty sweet deal going on, right? Yeah, they had a better deal than I found online. And I've totally done this before with vacation rentals. It's such a great tip because those companies incur costs. Yeah. Uh, listing on Airbnb or VRBO, when they get a booking there, they have to pay a decent percentage uh, of their profit to those websites. And if you can reach out directly, you might be able to get a 5 8 10% discount on the property you're booking. So that is a great tip. Also, Matt, when I was recently in North Myrtle Beach, had a great time with my fam there for a few days over the Labor Day holiday, I ended up meeting some locals and they don't list their properties on Airbnb or VRBO. Nice. It's all word of mouth. There's just a sign in the front yard with a number <laughs> with a code, right? Well, but it's yeah, that there's that. Like sometimes they'll have a sign in their front yard or other times they, it's really just if they meet you and they think you're a decent human, it's like, yeah, may, I'd, rent, I'd rent it out to you. Nice. Uh, so it's like- I'm sure there's enough demand. Yeah. So it's like, we don't need to list on Airbnb. And, and so they save the fees that they don't have to pay the listing sites. Uh, and at the same time, they have a good idea of who's booking their property because they know them personally. So I got a couple numbers from some people that, that list their properties there every year. And that might be the way we go next time. Very nice. Save some money, get a cheaper place next time we head to North Myrtle. Yeah, that's a nice little vacation hack. And so if you found a place online, maybe on one platform, it's good to even just search the name of that specific house because a lot of times they'll have kind of these unique names. But it's the same name that's listed on their actual website. And so yeah. if you can search that name in the city that you are looking to rent in and then go straight to the source, yeah, that's a way to, to save a lot of money. And real quick, let's introduce our beer for this episode. We are drinking Deftones Swerve City, and this is a Pog IPA by Belching Beaver. And do you say Pog or do you say like P-O-G, you know, when we're talking about the passion fruit orange guava beers? Usually Pog. Okay. Yeah. Me too. I All don't right. know if that's what you do though. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. It's just easier, right? <laughs> the Pog IPA. Pog. Plus it's a little throwback to Pogs. Did you ever play that in, oh, heck in school? Oh, yeah. I had like a long plastic you tube, the tube cylinder. You Pogs oh, with yeah. your slammers at the top? <laughs> <laughs> that was a, I, I don't think I ever learned how to play the game well. Like I think I just collected them because they looked cool. But All the other kids are, are collecting them. So I'm going to do that as well. You right. know, like slam it down and kind of hit it on the edge of your opponent's pog so that it flips over. Yeah. All right. And then do you get to keep their pogs? I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like, it's like marbles. It, it's just, it was basically like an updated thing of like marbles, which was, you know, from like 100 years ago. Hey, it's, it's no wonder <laughs> kids today don't play pogs, though. Let's, let's be honest. I think that's a trend that's never coming back. I don't know. Maybe. I would rather see pogs happening than like pencil fighting, which was <laughs> another one of my pastimes <laughs> that I, I love doing. You know what I miss the most though? Uh, paper football. That was the greatest. <sighs> that was another good one. Yeah. Actually, we, we can actually probably play here in the podcasting studio if you want. We even used to do that in college uh, with salt shakers. Like if you're sitting there at Waffle House and you just kind of push the salt shaker back and forth. If it, and if you get a hanger, mm. they have to take a shot of the salt. <laughs> no. You I never did that? that? No. Oh, wait. It's, it was a good one. All right. Well, we can bring that one back. That's for sure. <laughs> let's do it. All right. Let's get on to the uh, the questions for today's episode, though, Matt. And and for anybody out there who wants to submit a question for Matt and I to answer in an upcoming episode, it's super easy. Just go to our website, howtomoney.com slash ask. There are simple instructions there for you to submit your voice question uh, for us to hopefully feature on an upcoming episode. We always enjoy hearing from listeners taking these questions. And Matt, the first one that we're going to talk about today has to do with borrowing from a robo-investor app. Hey, Matt and Joel. I am Matt from Fayetteville, North Carolina. I recently opened an M1 Finance account and saw that you can borrow 35% of your portfolio's value at a 2% interest rate after you have at least $10,000 invested into your portfolio. With interest rates 
on high interest savings accounts dropping rapidly and my emergency fund and savings being enough to cover all my expenses for six months. Do you think it would be a good idea to invest in index funds using M1 Finance with the intent of borrowing it against my portfolio for the purpose of purchasing an investment property within the next two years? Or should I just stick to adding cash to my savings? I really love your podcast. Thanks for keeping finance informative and intriguing. Keep up the great work. Matt, he said, I am Matt. He like said it you. just like I do. <laughs> <laughs> at least that's how we heard it, at least. Maybe that's not what he intended, but I don't know. That's that's how I heard it, man. No, I think he was riffing on you. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's get to the question, Matt. Uh, M1 is one of our favorite low-cost investing platforms, uh, but we've actually never talked about uh, their new borrowing service. And so let's go ahead and discuss how that works first. Like you said, you can borrow up to 35% of money that is in your brokerage account. Uh, at a very low rate of 2% via M1's borrow feature. I challenge anybody else to find where you can borrow money at 2% that's right now. That's a very low rate. Even with low interest rates. like That's incredibly yeah, low. Yeah, it is. But the thing is, you only get that 2% rate if you have the premium M1 account. That costs 125 bucks a year. But you know, if you are an investing fiend and you've got over $10,000 in there, that really can be a great way to borrow a nice chunk of change at a really low rate. But it also comes with risk. Yes. Right. And so we got to talk about that at the same time. We don't recommend using the M1 borrow feature if you're directly borrowing additional funds to invest in the stock market. And Matt, I know that's not what you're attempting to do, but it's important for us to mention this because a lot of people are going to take advantage of this M1 borrow feature and then stick that money directly in the market, hoping for great returns in the near future. And that's really problematic because the amount that you can borrow is directly tied to the value of your brokerage account. So if the specific stock you're invested in, which is something we don't advise, but let's say you're invested in in a, a couple of stocks, if those were to do poorly in a short amount of time and your investment drops below that $10,000 minimum, then you'd quickly have to deposit enough to keep your balance above that threshold. But even if you'd been widely diversified in index funds, right, like the S&P 500 or total stock market index fund, like Matt and I, that's how we like to invest. Well, if you'd done this back in February, you'd borrowed money via the M1 borrow feature. And then just one month later, Later, the market's having a really tough time and and we've seen 30% declines. Well, a lot of people borrowing money in this way are assuming that markets continue to go up and that their investments will continue to increase. But if you are going to borrow money in this way, then you have to at least plan for the possibility that that's not the case and be willing to shovel more money into the account to make up that deficit. Yeah. And so Matt, in your case, you know the fact that you have six months worth of expenses in your savings account, like that's pretty huge. In your case, you may have been able to weather a storm like that. But a lot of people attempting to borrow money from their investing app, they're not necessarily in a great place financially. And they could get caught in a situation you know, in which they can't pay that money. And then they would have to sell some investments, possibly at a you know, very inopportune time, in order to pay back what they borrowed. Uh, and so since you are in a solid financial position, and you have the ability here to snag a rate of 2%, and that money is going towards another investment that will generate cash flow... That does bring down the risk level a little bit. Uh, But the thing is, if you do decide to borrow in this way, uh, it's crucial to keep that savings intact just in case your investments do see that meaningful decline and you need to pay some or, or maybe even all of that money back in a very short time frame. Yeah. And Matt, you're looking to take that money and to invest it in cash flowing property in real estate. It sounds like you're, you're thinking about taking that money and having it on hand for down payment money uh, sometime in the next two years. 
but there's still a lot of volatility that could take place within that short time frame. Right? Even though there is a decent chance you can see the market continue to rise in the next two years, there's also a decent chance it could decline as well. Nobody knows what the market is going to do today, tomorrow, or in the next two years. It's much different when we're talking about a 15 to 20 year period because any 15 year period, if you've got money invested in the S&P 500 over the past 50 years, has always shown a gain. But when we're talking about a smaller time horizon, like a couple of years, it's really anybody's guess. And just not to mention too, I mean, by borrowing from your investment account to then take that money and invest it in real estate, in which case you will also be borrowing money in addition to your down payment, it introduces layers of risk here. And so while we are for getting a mortgage, like there, you know, we, we have nothing against that, especially when it comes to an investment property, by introducing this additional layer, it's almost like this kind of house of cards. You got one layer set up, you know, set on your carpet floor, you kind of rub it down in the carpet so it stands up nice and straight. That's one thing, right? You can kind of have one layer. But then by the time you add that second layer, things start feeling a little more precarious. Uh, and so, Matt, it kind of depends on, on how comfortable you are with stock market volatility, you know, as well as how badly you want to get into real estate investing. Leverage can be powerful. It can allow you to purchase an asset that you couldn't afford without taking a loan, but it also increases risk. But borrowing money and taking on debt should never be done flippantly. You know, in this case, M1 is currently offering the lowest borrowing rates that we've heard of, but you could really get burned if you aren't careful. I know if it was me, if I was looking to save up some money for a down payment for an investment property, I personally would not be investing that money. I would just stick that in my my not so high interest rate savings account <laughs> where I would be earning a measly 1% tops. But I would want that peace of mind if I was looking to want to do anything with that money uh, sooner than you know five or seven years down the road. Yeah, it's a risk and reward proposition here. And, and I think, Matt, you're right. I would lean towards putting that money in savings consistently uh, for the next two years in order to save up a down payment to buy a, a property. But I don't love the idea of creating that house of cards. And, and even if it's a low rate, the potential for it crumbling and wreaking a lot of havoc in your life is definitely there. Uh, so, all right, Matt, let's get to a couple more questions, including how you should think about investing as we approach an election. We'll, we'll get to that and more right after this break. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, 
You already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, we are back from the break taking listener questions. And before we take a question about uh, investing money near an election, as well as starting a podcast, we've got a little twofer going on. Let's take a quick question here about paying for a degree. Hi, Matt and Joel. My name is Hillary, and I'm from Victoria in British Columbia, Canada. I'm doing my master's online in library studies, and my husband and I have been cash flowing it for the past year. And we are debt-free other than our mortgage. This year, I want to take two classes a semester instead of one, which is double the price, but will allow me to graduate sooner. We would be able to cash flow it, but since we are also started paying for childcare now that I'm taking two courses, things are just getting a little tight while we try to max out our retirement savings too. I'm wondering if you think it's a good idea to take out a small student loan that gives me a small grant as well, since I am a student with a dependent, and plan to save up enough that I pay back most of the loan before it starts gaining interest after I graduate. Thank you so much. Matt, we were just talking about risk, right? And, and I feel like actually Hillary's risk meter is is in a really good place. She's really, really hesitant to get risky when it comes to student loan debt. And so I appreciate where this question is coming from. Hillary, it sounds like y'all are in a great financial situation. And if you had like a bunch of other types of debt hanging around in your life, it might make us worried that you're a little too debt dependent, but that doesn't seem to be the case, right? It sounds like you've got a plan to pay the money back and potentially before you even pay interest on it. So I really appreciate where your head's at when it comes to taking on debt. It is one of those things, Matt, like you said, it shouldn't be done flippantly. It should be done with a lot of care and precision, uh, no matter what it is. And so, yeah, Hillary, I think you're on the right track, but Matt, let's go a little further. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about how to think about student loan debt in general. We recently had Anthony O'Neill on the show, and you know he's dead set against taking on any debt for college. We are not completely in the same camp on this one, but still, we do think people take on debt for their education far too easily. Much of what Anthony said is incredibly helpful about doing your absolute best to avoid debt altogether. 
you know, at least seek to minimize the amount of debt that you take on for college. Just having that solid debt aversion that will ensure that you aren't, you know, letting those higher education costs get too out of hand. Right now, the average undergrad who has student loan debt, they have a balance of about $30,000. $30,000. That is a ton of money. You could easily pay for a really nice car in cash. That could be uh, a solid chunk of a, of a down payment for a home, like in Matt's case in, the, in our last question. There's so much you could do with that money. And so we want to encourage folks to try to avoid it at all costs. Yeah, for sure. But in Hillary's case specifically, she even mentioned that her student loan comes with a grant since she has a dependent. Not knowing all the specifics here, it, it sounds like this is probably Canada specific. It sounds like you will be able to offset some of the cost of childcare with that additional money. And that seems like a pretty nice additional benefit too. Yeah. And additionally, there's value too that you gain from childcare, right? Like it's not necessarily just an expense that you have to pay because you're taking classes. There's other things that your kids learn by going to you know, daycare or you know, like if there's a more of like a pre-K setup. Kids, they learn a lot of different social skills. They learn how to listen to a teacher. Uh, they learn other lessons as well. And so there's a lot of value and a lot of benefit in addition to making sure that your, your kid stays healthy and, and alive you know? <laughs> while you're taking classes online. Alive, alive is good. Yeah. I mean, that's what we do. Like, We don't necessarily need to send our youngest daughter to daycare for part of the day, but we do it because we want her to be around other kids. We, wa- we want her to have another outlet other than just being cooped up at home with her, you know, while her two sisters are online learning. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so Hillary, here's one other thing that I think makes it just a, a great idea to actually take this small loan and the grant and move forward with your education and get it finished more quickly. Part of the benefit is because you're just really excited to finish your degree and it allows you to continue kicking butt and making it happen and finishing sooner. At the same time, uh, when you finish sooner, it allows you to put that degree to work, which means making an income. And so, yeah, the quicker you can finish that degree, even if it means that small student loan that you can pay off quickly, we say take it out, finish your schooling so you can go out there and put that degree to use in the career that you're really excited to pursue. Yeah, let's keep that momentum moving forward. And so, Hillary, best of luck to you. Joel, our next question has to do with starting a podcast as well as investing near an election. Let's hear it. Hello, Matt and Joel. Uh, First and foremost, I'd like to say thank you very much for making this podcast. It has been a treasure trove of financial information. I've got two questions. Uh, My first question deals with what equipment did you guys use when first starting out your podcast? You know, what, what is good microphone, good software, things like that. You know, I trust that y'all will lean more on the frugal side and the cheap side, you know, especially when y'all were starting out. I've been thinking about doing a podcast series myself, but the last thing I want to do is put all my money into unnecessarily expensive equipment. But uh, my second question deals with civic duty. I've been thinking, considering how polarizing this election has been, should I hold off my monthly investments planned for October and wait until the election results come out in November and then just double down on both my November and October investment money then to see how the market reacts to whoever becomes president or would waiting an extra month be too, you know, too much in the dollar cost averaging process. And I should just, regardless of the election results, keep putting my monthly investment budget into the market. Thank you very much. 
Juan, thanks for your question, man. And, and so glad that the show has been helpful. All right, let's talk about a treasure trove. A treasure by trove the way, is what he said. I think that's the kindest thing like anyone's that. ever said to me about the show. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, thanks, Juan. Uh, and all right, let's quickly get into the question. We're, let's talk about podcasting first. Uh, we've answered this once or twice before, I think. But Matt, I mean, it's so simple and easy to start podcasting. And so many more people are, are getting interested in it because it is so universally accessible. Uh, I know a lot of friends who have started podcasts. Like, I love how niche podcasts get. We've talked about that before too, just that you can create almost anything and put it out there. So one, we encourage you to make it happen. And we definitely started frugally, not cheap. Uh, you can get mics super cheap, uh, but often the, the really cheap ones are pretty terrible. The sound quality is not very good. So we would suggest either an ATR 2100 or a Shure SM58. Those are great mics that cost right about 100 bucks. Matt and I, we uh, began and still do actually record uh, with the same mics directly into a Zoom recorder, we the same sure one do. that we started out with. We don't need to upgrade. No, so we haven't even upgraded. So that, that's the thing. Like What you're hearing now is literally those uh, same Shure SM58 mics and the Zoom recording device. We did upgrade and put these little fluffy styrofoam foam things on, <laughs> on it to kind of cut down on some of the, the pops with the P's. Yeah, exactly, which which helps. And then, uh, yeah, the the uh, when it comes to editing software, GarageBand or Audacity are great free audio editing software options. Uh, Audition is, I think, the best one out there, but it costs you money. That's the one I use, but only because I've been using it for like 15 years because I've worked in the radio world too. It's just something I'm used to. And then, too, just uh, of note, you don't need to buy a new computer necessarily. Uh, I would suggest work with what you have. So a couple mics somewhere to record. You can record it into a Zoom device or, or into your computer directly. Uh, it really isn't going to cost you that much money when all is said and done. And the biggest impact you'll you want to consider too, one is soundproofing. You know, like that's something we didn't really think about uh, as much as maybe we should have. Uh, but it doesn't have to be expensive to add some soundproofing to the room that you are recording in. Or you can even move to a room. That would sound a little bit better. But you know, heavy curtains can be really helpful. I know with a lot of folks working from home, uh, a lot of podcasters are actually you know, they no longer have access to their fancy studio if they work for, say, NPR, that kind of thing. And so a lot of folks are actually recording in their closets. They're always talking about how they're on Zoom calls and they can see pants hanging behind, <laughs> you know, the other person. But the reason that's the case is because a lot of times that can be the quietest room. If you have a closet that's full of clothes, a lot of soft materials in there to absorb the sounds. But, you know, ultimately it shouldn't cost more than a few hundred dollars to, to have the equipment you need in order to get started uh, and to create something that sounds really good. And when it comes to, to hosting, you, you, you know, to get your podcast out there, you need to have somebody who hosts it, who delivers it. Anchor, uh, you can check them out for free, or you can consider some affordable services uh, like Buzzsprout, and we'll get it sent out to all the different podcatchers out there. And the biggest reason we mentioned Buzzsprout is because that's who Joel and I actually started using at the very beginning, even though uh, we've moved on since then. Yep. So hope that helps Juan. Best of luck getting started in that podcast. All right, let's move on to the second part of your question. Part two. <laughs> when it comes to how elections affect the market and affect your investing choices. And ultimately, we would say it's more fodder for discussion than actual meaningful impact, though. You know, Matt and I, we would suggest that you not change a thing about how you're investing or when you're investing as the election approaches. If you look at the history of how the market fares with a Democrat or a Republican at the helm, the deviation just isn't really very meaningful. And if you look historically, the average return in the stock market has been 9% with a Democratic president and 6% with a Republican president. There have been all sorts of other studies done about divided Congress or you know, or a majority Congress and how that also impacts returns. But ultimately, history has shown us that the impact of an election is mostly unimportant when it comes to the market, especially if you're investing for decades down the road. So I would say 
who cares? Stick with the plan and don't let something like an election or really anything derail how you're investing, when you're investing, and the dollar cost averaging that you're doing right now. Yeah, elections uh, and pretty much everything else doesn't really factor into how I invest at all. You know, interestingly enough, it's almost kind of the things that we don't see coming, which have the biggest impact on the market. You know, it's events like 9-11 or, or COVID that we've seen this year that nobody could have predicted. Those things create the most volatility. But that being said, even during these colossal events, we continue to invest like normal. And so try to avoid listening to people who, you know, predict what will happen should either side win this November. Those predictions are almost always incorrect or, or maybe just myopic. Don't let any election change your investing strategy. Keep dollar cost averaging every two weeks or, or every month, however it is that you are currently investing for your retirement. Yeah, no matter where you line up politically, uh, it's it's really easy to to think that this election, and actually I feel like every four years it's said that, that this is the most important election of our lifetimes. And it, it kind of feels like that every four years, right? Because there's a lot of things happening in our country that that every election really does matter, right? And our vote matters. And, and so we wouldn't dissuade you from being politically active or using your vote, but we would dissuade you from buying into the fact that this election is going to change the fundamentals of the American economy, or it's going to have a massive impact on what happens in the market in the near term. And so you should change your strategy because of that, because that's just not what we see historically. And that's just not what we believe uh, about your investing strategy. It shouldn't be based around external factors like who's going to be the next president. Yeah, man, that is right. And so speaking of investing right after the break, we're going to take a question about uh, how an employer's 401k match how it works. And we're going to talk about purchasing a home with an FHA loan. We'll get to both of those right after the break. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. 
So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, Matt, we're back from the break, and we've got a question from a listener who's wondering how the profit sharing that his employer does affects how he should view his 401k. What's up, Joel and Matt? My name is Peter. I'm 28, and I'm reaching out to you guys from Reston, Virginia, in order to gain better insight into the 401k plan I have through my employer. They do not match up to a set percentage point. Instead, each year they come up with a profit-sharing dollar amount based off of the goals met by the sales teams. Then my company multiplies this amount against my percentage of the total company's contribution. I think that's the amount they end up contributing to my account, which I will see as one lump sum around April or May. All said and done, I'm told this is usually 20 to 45 cents on the dollar. I almost wish my company had a cap that they match up to because it would be much easier to understand. Right now, I'm comfortable contributing 8% to my employer's 401k. Why this is on my mind is because I've been itching to open a Roth IRA with Vanguard. If my company had a cap, say up to 3%, I would meet it and put the remaining 5% towards the Roth IRA. Since that's not the case for me, what percentage of my salary do you think is worth putting into my company's 401k and what percentage is worth putting towards a Vanguard account? I love the podcast and I'm looking forward to your reply. Cheers. Peter, thanks so much for listening to the podcast, and we appreciate your question. Man, that's uh, an interesting way of tackling things, the way your company's handling it. You know, I, I agree that you know, for the industrious investor, this nebulous approach can be a little difficult to plan for. But on the other hand, you know, there could be an unlimited upside here. You mentioned that your employer contributes 20 to 45 cents on the dollar uh, and that they don't set a cap. 
But does that mean that they provide that typical match annually on every dollar you put in? Because if so, you know, that's when a Roth IRA, like it doesn't make nearly as much sense at all. Since every dollar above the 8% you are currently putting in, that it would still be best invested inside your company's plan if there's an unlimited cap. And so you can invest up to the full amount that you could set aside in your 401k, $19,500. Yeah. So I think, Matt, there's not maybe quite enough information here with Peter's question, but we'll do our best to kind of give our thoughts on what we think is happening um, and then help Peter make a, a good decision inside of that. So Peter, one important thing to look into and, and a good question to ask is, is your employer's contribution uh, is it made based on your 401k contribution percentage or is it based on your income? If it is based on your contribution, then there's zero reason to prioritize putting it in a Roth instead. But assuming that there is some sort of cap on your employer's contributions, the best advice we can give you is to look to previous years and to plan to contribute up to what your company has historically matched. And maybe even contributing a little bit more if your company has had a really good year, right? Yeah, if it's just based in on case. sales. Yeah, you don't want to miss out on any of that free money. So yeah, maybe bumping it up two percentage points over what historically has been accurate sure. just to give yourself that possible upside. So that's if the benefit is based on your contribution. But if it's based on your salary, then it's essentially a profit sharing plan where the money will get thrown into your 401k no matter your own personal contribution. It's called the compensation or pro rata method. And if that's the case, if that's how your employer chooses to contribute to your retirement account, you can essentially put in 0% to your 401k and put all of your personal investments into a Roth with Vanguard. And, and that would be a great move. Yeah. So, so Peter, it's important to check with HR or whoever handles benefits to know for sure what method it is that they go with as that'll determine what you would do. And so you know, if you are itching to open up a Roth outside your 401k, maybe in order to diversify your tax burden, you know, see if you have a Roth 401k option as you could split your contributions between the traditional as well as the Roth 401k. And so I guess that's another reason too, is to, to ask yourself, why is it that you're itching to open up this Roth? But again, double check with your company, because if there isn't a cap to the amount they're willing to contribute, you know, the sky is the limit when it comes to your plan. And Peter, either way, don't stress about this. You know, like it sounds like you are doing a fantastic job. You're setting aside a large portion of your income. Uh, You've got a type of match somehow. (laughs) Uh, And so it's okay if you are not optimized perfectly. Uh, It sounds like you are still in a really great position. Yeah. And you're putting in enough to at least get a meaningful match from your employer, which which is huge. That's what you don't want to miss out on is that match from your employer. So Peter, keep up the great work, man. Keep on investing. You got this. And hopefully even just a little bit of due diligence can help you make the best possible decision for you. So, so keep it up, man. All right, Matt, let's get to our next question. And this one is about buying a house and taking out an FHA mortgage. Hey guys, my name is Brittany. I'm 27 years old, living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Love the show and thanks in advance for your advice. My question is about buying a home with an FHA loan. I know that you typically don't recommend buying a home with it or with less than 20% down, uh, but I wanted to explain my situation and see if you think it could be an exception. Right now, I'm in a place in my life where I definitely plan to stay in the area for about 10 years as I want to live near my nine-year-old little sister as she grows up. Big age difference, I know. Where I would buy would be a county next to Philadelphia that's an amazing school district, pretty much guaranteed to appreciate properties very well. It's also near two of my closest friends. In terms of my financials, I've paid off all credit card debt as well as my car with just federal student loans left at 23000 I have a six-month emergency fund, decently high salary, working in tech, uh, retirement in good shape, and can save up enough for 5% down by next summer. I'm excited to hear your thoughts, even if it's not the answer I want to hear. Thanks again. 
Well, Brittany, thanks so much for that question. And hopefully we can be the dispensers of advice that is maybe the best advice. And in the end, too, hopefully it'll be advice that you want to hear as well. But, but we always go for unbiased advice, even if it is bad news, <laughs> right? True. Like we want Brittany to make the right decision. Yeah, so. absolutely. And also, man, I love the, the desire for her to live next to her or nearby her sister. That's pretty cool. I've never had a sibling that was that much younger, but you're almost like an additional parent, which is pretty cool. But Brittany, the, the reason that we prefer to save up 20% down in order to purchase a home and to avoid FHA loans is for a couple of reasons. First, um, is that you avoid paying monthly mortgage insurance costs that could cost you thousands of dollars annually, depending on the price of your home. And then the second reason is because in addition to paying these mortgage insurance payments every month, you also have to pay an upfront premium of 1.75% of the loan. That's a really high fee. And so if you could save up more on the front end, you could avoid that altogether. And at the same time, when you put more down, uh, you are seen as the less risky borrower, which gives you access to the best rates and the best terms. And of course, you'll have a smaller monthly mortgage payment, which is clutch as well. Yeah. So that's all the reasons that we think 20% down is the best thing to shoot for. Yes. But we also realize that there are a lot of people out there who are in the position to buy a home, but don't have 20% to put down. Uh, and, and it would take a long, long time in order to get to that point. But Brittany, you specifically mentioned taking out an FHA loan. It's worth mentioning that you can get a conventional loan at 3% down or, or 5% down, which is what you plan on having next summer, and you can avoid that upfront FHA cost, uh, but your credit score needs to be at 620 or higher. So the great thing is you have time, first off, to save to get the, to that 5% down payment level, and second, to build your credit score to make sure it's in a great place. Uh, ultimately, you want it to be 740 or higher to qualify for the best rates and best terms uh, while getting a conventional loan. So you might be considering an FHA if you have a, a rougher credit score, but working to improve that credit score has just so many benefits across your entire financial life. Uh, so saving up 20% and cleaning up your credit score can take a while. So we would say buying a home with a smaller down payment isn't the worst thing you can do, specifically given what you've got going on. A great job in tech, six months of emergency fund, you're maxing out your retirement. And at the same time, it sounds like you're planning on being in that home for quite a while. And that is one of the most important things when buying a home. I think you can afford to put down less if your time horizon is even longer. It drastically reduces the risk of buying a home when you know you're going to be in that home for at least a decade. And then finally, Brittany, it's good to think through lifestyle. You know, it's good to think through what else you want to be doing with your money. You don't necessarily want to put yourself in a position where you are house poor, where all you can afford is your house and you're going to have to forego uh, some vacations, you know, maybe some trips with some of those friends that you're going to be able to move closer to in the future. Sounds like you've done a great job up until this point. You know, you're, you're maxing out your retirement and you obviously want to make sure that you maintain that. But just take into account some of the other expenses that you might have in your life down the road as maybe your interests change. Uh, and it's good too to consider some of the additional costs that come with maintaining a house. A good starting place is 1% of the purchase price of the home just for maintenance and repairs. And that's not even including furnishings. You know, like once you buy a house, most people don't just want to move their old apartment furniture into the house. You know, <laughs> you want to pick out a, a couch that's specific to that living room. You want to pick out some some furniture that fits that house and all that costs money as well. Yeah, so, we have we have a mutual friend, Matt, who who just had a house that they finished building and he was telling me, Well, now I gotta buy all new furniture for this house. I was like, you don't have to, but you know, <laughs> he was basically insinuating that that was uh, what his wife wanted. And those are the kind of things that sometimes you buy a house and everything else feels a little dingy and you start upgrading it's the 
furniture. Free. You don't have to do it, but a lot of times it's kind of assumed. Yeah. Right? And so I think one last thing I would say to Brittany is, yeah, 5% getting a conventional loan with a great credit score is not a, a terrible move for her because she is so solid in so many other facets of her finances. But but one other thing, Brittany, I would, I would ask you to really, really consider is to think about your max price point uh, of the home you're buying because you want to make sure that it's easily affordable. And, and like Matt said, that you're not going to be house poor, unable to afford to continue to max out your retirement, unable to afford some of those fun things that you want to do in your life. And so I think, Brittany, it sounds like you're making this decision with a good head on your shoulders. So go for it. It sounds like this home is going to be a good place for you to land for quite a long time. Plus, it sounds like she's thinking about it in a, in a great way. You know, she's talking about the, the school system, all those sorts of things. Unfortunately, when Kate and I bought our first house, man, that's not something we considered at all. <laughs> that wasn't on your radar? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, we got lucky, but it's something that we're just like, oh, that's so far down the road. We're not worried about that. We're not really worried about resale. You know, if we like the house and somebody else will like it after us, we were kind of basing everything, I guess, on our own tastes, but we didn't really consider schools. And so it's important to consider, you know, all these different aspects of home ownership that you are doing, Brittany. So yeah, best of luck to you. And thanks for listening to the podcast. All right, Joe, let's go ahead and shift gears and let's get to our beer this episode. You and I, we shared a Deftones Swerve City Pog IPA, and this is by Belching Beaver. And this one was donated to the show by Brent out in California. I think this is a local brewery out there for him. Uh, What were your thoughts on this one, buddy? All right. So summer's over, right? Uh, Fall air. It's nice and crisp. It's Mm kind of cool outside. But this beer brings me back to summer. (laughs) I feel like I'm lathering sunscreen on my arms and on my face. Actually, I usually miss my face and get burned. Um, But You don't lather. You just like pretend to spray some on your face and you're like, oh, the spray stuff never works good. Why do I look like a lobster? I don't get it. (laughs) Yeah. uh, But I thought this beer, man, it was like, it was kind of like had a fruit punch IPA kind of vibe going on. Super fruity. And I don't think I'm missing summer quite yet, but this beer kind of makes me miss it just a little bit at least. Totally, man. I am with you. It certainly had a tropical tart action going on with this IPA. Uh, it almost tastes like a fruit candy, you know, like mixed with an IPA. Yeah. With like a little bit of bitterness because it's an IPA. Like, honestly, it kind of reminded me of like Flintstones vitamins a little bit. Because, you know, like they were always kind of sweet and kind of tropical flavored. But you could always tell that they were vitamins. It wasn't just straight candy because it always had like this little bitter edge to it. That fruit was just trying to cover up the vitamin bitterness. Exactly. That's yeah. kind of what this reminds me of, like in the best in the best way. You know, I'm not saying this tastes like <laughs> Flintstones vitamins. Flintstones vitamins were good, dude. That's a compliment. I mean, there's never any argument at my house about me wanting to take Flintstone vitamins. Right, right. I was always going after Dino. My, my kids... The, the little purple one. Uh, of course, we do the, the Costco kids vitamins at our house, but my kids clamor for them every night. Do they really? They're, they're like, please, can we have our vitamin gummies? So... Wait, do you give them to them at night? Yeah. Do you feel like that kind of gets them all hopped up before they go to bed? Gets, oh. their, gets their minds activated with all the vitamins? I don't think so. Oh. Maybe. I feel like I've thought that before, so we always do them in the morning. All right. Maybe I'll, I'll switch it up and try it. <laughs> <laughs> and overall, too, you know, these flavors, the passion fruit, the orange, the guava, I feel like all these flavors combined together, it honestly reminds me a little bit of strawberry as well, which this isn't a specific fruit that's in the beer, but it kind of evokes that fruitiness to me. I enjoyed it, man, and I'm with you. It kind of takes me back a little bit to summer, even though I am looking forward to these these crisp cooler nights for sure no doubt thanks again brent for sending these beers our way always enjoy tasting beers that we can't taste here in georgia typically so all right uh, that's going to be it for this episode for anybody who wants show notes for this episode we'll have those up on our website at howtomoney.com and if you haven't yet left us a review we always appreciate solid reviews over at apple podcasts that helps others who have not yet found how to money. It helps them to find this podcast and allows them to, to do better things with their money as well. And so, Joel, that's going to be it, buddy. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out.
It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.